0: St. Warburg's Derby. If you don't know me, uh, my name's Andy. I'm the uh, Associate Minister here at St. Werberg's um it feels like it's a little while since I've been here well I was here this morning but before this morning um it hadn't been here for a couple of weeks as a family we had been down in Cornwall and if you saw my Instagram it was beautiful and amazing there was no rain and we didn't fight at all um of course that's not quite true but we did have a really good time uh we went to the beach a lot and we dug sandcastles and made dams and uh put, you know buried each other and did pull all the kids out afterwards um Didn't see any big fish, but we did see some dolphins in one of the bays, which was amazing. Yeah, we went to... It was really good, actually. My my wife had never seen dolphins in the wild, and my daughter had never seen them. So there they were, just jumping away and enjoying themselves, and that that was really cool. Now, I don't know if... Your summer, you've had a summer holiday. When I used to work in London, we didn't do summer holidays. We took our holidays outside of holiday time because it was cheaper. Um, and then we go in the kind of spring and we go in the autumn. Or, or maybe for you, actually, the idea of a summer holiday uh, is, you know, kind of is a dream, really. And you, you haven't had one. And, and um, you know, and that could be really hard as the summer. Um, but over the last few weeks, we've, we've been doing a summer series on Old Testament characters. And last week, Phil uh, spoke about Jonah, um, Jonah part one, and this evening we're going to be looking at the kind of the second part of that story. So I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll see where we go. Father God, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for every single person who's in here. Thank you that you know us each by name. And I ask that you would speak to us tonight. Amen. Yeah, last week, uh, Phil told the story of Jonah. He, um, it's Jonah and the big fish, and uh, God calls Jonah to go to, to Nineveh, and uh, Jonah actually doesn't do that. He, he runs the other way, and he gets thrown into the sea by sailors, and he gets swallowed by a big fish. He ends up in the belly of this fish, and he ends up praying. And Phil focused on two particular things last week. He said, is there something that you are running away from God on, like Jonah? And he also spoke about how Jonah, as he was trapped in the belly of this fish, his circumstances were horrendous, but actually his attitude and his perspective changed. He, his, things didn't get better for him at that point, but his perspective changed, and he challenged us in that way. Well, story, I, I know it because I listened to him. I wasn't here last week. If you've grown up in church, this will be a story that you've probably heard since you were about that high and maybe that high and that high, and you're going to hear it again. If you're new to church, if this God stuff is something you just investigated or you've randomly ended up here tonight, you may not know this story very, very well at all. And I want to encourage you, it's a, it's a, it's a good story to read. It's only four chapters long, it um, won't take up loads of your time. So if you've got a Bible at home, or you can download a Bible app, if you could go home even tonight before you go to bed, you could go, go home and you could read a whole book of the Bible in reading just four little chapters of Jonah. So if you do have one of these here, or you have a Bible app, or it's on your tablet, or whatever, can I encourage you to turn to Jonah chapter 3 for me. Jonah chapter 3, if you don't know what the chapters are, chapters are the the big numbers, and then the verses are the little numbers. We're going to start at Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. And if you don't have one, they are going to appear on the screen behind me. So Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life away, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? If you were here last week you may be getting a sense of deja vu about this passage because the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. It's like we're back at chapter 1 again. But this time, Jonah doesn't head off to Tarshish. He heads to Nineveh. He obeys God. Then what happens? The nation repents, the king repents, and he even calls the, the nation to get in sackcloth. And they're animals. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen an evil chicken before. But I've got this image of a chicken wandering around in sackcloth and kind of repenting of its sins. The, the poor chickens. But anyway, there we go. Um, God sees their response and in his compassion He relents. And then Jonah gets angry at God for doing what he thought he would do anyway, not bring destruction. And then we didn't read this bit, but Jonah goes off and he builds himself a hut. And then this miraculous vine springs up. It protects Jonah from the sun. But then God sends a worm to kill the vine and Jonah ends up baking in the sunshine. Jonah is mightily annoyed at the removal of his supernaturally supplied sunshade. And then what happens is God—he kind of pulls back the curtain on the situation. He says, "Jonah, you're angry because this plant that you didn't water, you didn't plant, you didn't tend—it sprung up overnight. You're angry because it's gone. And then you're you're angry at me because I didn't bring destruction on people who are created in my image, who I love, 120,000 of them in Nineveh. And you're angry at me because I'm not destroying them." God drops the mic and then exits left, and the book ends. That's Jonah in a nutshell. The book of Jonah is not easy in a lot of ways. It's not a long book, but it is a profound book. And Jesus talks about it. It's referenced a number of times in the New Testament. Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah. And it's something, so therefore it's a book for us that's definitely worth getting our heads into. Now, over the last few years, I have loved getting together with individuals, some of them who would call themselves Christians, some of them who are not yet Christians, and beginning to read a gospel with them. Sometimes it's kind of on a one-to-one basis, sometimes it's in a small group. And what we do is we usually go out for coffee, and often it's in Bear in Derby. But we go there, and then we, uh, we'll open up the gospel, and we begin to ask a few questions. We ask five simple questions. And if you've never done a one-to-one Bible study with somebody, just say to, say to people, do you, know, do you want to look at some of the stories of Jesus? And it always amazes me how many many... Many people say, oh, actually, yeah, I might do that. It genuinely amazes me. And some of the five simple questions that we ask, the first one is, what do we learn about God? So we read the passage, what do we learn about God? And that's where I want to go with uh, this evening's talk. What do we learn about God? Well, there's a number of things we can discover in, in this book of Jonah. We can find out that God is a speaking God. He comes and he speaks through his prophet, particularly prophets, but Jonah in this case. We find out that God is a God who makes the first move. I don't see anything in the text that talks about Nineveh thinking of turning to God and repenting. God makes the first move towards them. He sends Jonah to them. We see a God who crosses ethnic boundaries. Now, Often we think of the God of the New Testament, if we know anything about the Bible, the God of the New Testament Jesus as being loving and caring and compassionate and kind of about the whole world. But maybe the God of the Old Testament is vindictive and angry and a bit kind of uh, fierce and maybe just focused on the Jews. But here we see God sending a prophet to people that are not Jews. He crosses ethnic boundaries. We see here that God is a holy God, He's angry and uh, cannot abide Nineveh's wickedness. And Jonah does preach a message of judgment. We see that God is holy. And those are all very valid things that we could take out of this story. But there's something else I want to focus on this evening. God is a God of compassion. God is a God of compassion. The NIV translation that we used this evening says that um, three times in quick succession it uses the word compassion. We see that the king of Nineveh, when he's uh, challenged by Jonah, he hopes that God is compassionate. He says, maybe God is compassionate. Maybe he'll relent and not bring judgment. We see that the writer, whoever wrote Jonah, says states it about God. He says, God is compassionate. And then we see that Jonah himself, in his kind of moan to God afterwards, says, God, I know you're compassionate. You're slow, you're, you're slow to anger and you're rich in love. Three times in quick succession, we're told that God is compassionate. This book is about God's compassion. But it may be that you're sitting there and you're thinking, Andy, look, this is all very well. You're telling me that God is a God of compassion. But in case I didn't just mishear what you said when we read that book, the message that Jonah brings is one that says that Nineveh is going to be destroyed, that Nineveh is going to be overturned. How does this compassionate God sit with the idea of a God who brings judgment like how do those two things go together I'm I'm not sure that that works well that is a reasonable question I can guarantee that you're not the only person in the room asking that question tonight so I want to consider a few things in much of the church and in our culture in recent years we've stepped back from the idea of judgment the idea of judgment has become less and less attractive to us The funny thing is that back in the day, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, the idea of judgment was a good thing. It was the idea of being able to discern rightly, to be able to make right decisions, to be able to discern between good and evil. But then in the late 20th century, what happened was we began to combine the idea of judgment with being judgmental. Did you know the word judgmental didn't even appear before 1971 in the Oxford English Dictionary? There's a thing you can fascinate people with at parties. Um, But it didn't. This idea of being judgmental is quite a modern idea. And then we get this idea of being bigoted and being intolerant and being arrogant. So judgment back in the day was a good thing, but we kind of combined it with the idea of being judgmental. And the other weird thing that goes on around the idea of judgment, that is just as the church has stepped back from talking about judgment, from having confidence in talking about God's righteous, rightful judgment, our culture has taken this bizarre turn in in very, very recent years and has actually become... Very judgmental in places. Just look at our social media wars. Just look at some of our identity politics. Just look at our campaigning groups where if you say the wrong thing outside the agreed norm, suddenly you are outside the fold. You are despicable. You are horrendous. You are not one of us anymore. We cannot abide you. We've actually become, in our culture, incredibly judgmental. In fact, one of the podcasts that I listen to says that our culture has become quite pharisaical in places which is a term you'd only ever heard about in church. It's the idea of the Pharisees that Jesus came against and um, he wasn't happy about them because they were kind of hypocritical and judgmental and all that stuff. But actually our culture has taken that on board and in many ways, often because of a Twitter thread, because of a troll, because of being triggered by what somebody says, the judgment flows out. Misplaced rage it usually comes out of. The funny thing is that God's judgment is not like that. God does not judge from a place of that. One writer I read said this, God's righteousness leads him to oppose what will destroy what he loves. I'm going to say that again. God's righteousness leads him to oppose what will destroy what he loves. In other words, God's goodness, God's love, means that he goes against the the things that destroy the stuff that he loves. It is because God is all-loving, that he has to do that. He cares about creation. Human beings are made in his image. He loves us completely. And he cannot stand to see those things destroyed. A few years ago in the church I grew up in, there was a guy who was quite a high-flying uh, guy who worked in the city. And he was a banker. Um, and he, he was served God faithfully in that world for a long time. And it challenged him. It was long hours. He did lots of traveling. Um, and, and for a long time he wanted to leave, but that was where God was, and God hadn't called him out of that. Called him out of that. So if you're in banking and God's called you there, then work for Jesus in banking. But, but eventually he, I think he might use the word escaped, but he ended up getting a new job, and he ended up working, getting a job with International Justice Mission. Now, if you don't know International Justice Mission, they're a a charity that campaign uh, against the modern uh, slavery around the world. And not only do they campaign about it, but they actually kind of go on raids to rescue people, to see people arrested and to see kind of uh, circuits of people that are uh, perpetuating human slavery, to to break those things. Now, the thing about RJM is because they know what God opposes, God opposes human slavery, then they work to oppose that, to break that down. And I think in a very human way that actually they're mirroring what God's judgment, God's righteous judgment looks like. They're opposing what destroys what God loves. So I don't believe that God's compassion is incompatible with judgment. In fact, I believe that God's compassion drives him towards righteous judgment. And yet the interesting thing is that in this story, when Nineveh repents, God, We know that it says in the scriptures that God doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. And so when this city repents, God relents, and he doesn't bring that righteous righteous judgment on them. God was gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. God is a God of compassion. So that's the first thing we learn in this story. Just one thing. What do we learn about God? The second question that I often ask with the guys that we get together with and we do these Bible studies with is a very simple question, is what do we learn about the others in this story? What do we learn about the others in this story? A real simple question. And again, there's a whole bunch of things that we could answer from the text. We could see that Jonah gets a second chance. He gets a mulligan, if you like. Dan Dark spoke about that a few months ago. God giving us a mulligan. We see that Jonah is a self-pitying moaner. I I find a lot of affinity uh, with him in that regard sometimes, but we, we see that about him we see that Jonah has elder brother syndrome I don't know if you know the story of the prodigal son where kind of the father lavishes love on the son that comes back that's rejected him and the elder brother's out in the field and he gets angry at the father for doing that Jonah's the elder brother in this situation like God why are you forgiving Nineveh like you promised you're going to destroy them and then I had to go and tell them and you, you just didn't do it I knew you weren't going to do it Jonah's an elder brother and all of that's in the text that's great stuff but actually, the thing I want to focus on this evening is that Nineveh repents. Nineveh and unexpected people repent in this story. You see, we, there's incredible things that go on in this story. We've got a big fish solo in a garb. We've got a miraculous plant that grows up and a worm that kills it overnight. But actually, Nineveh, a city of people that don't know God, when Jonah comes along, they repent. They put on sackcloth, they put, which was itchy and uncomfortable. They get down in the dust and show that they're sorry. They fast from their food and drink. And then, do you know what? That actually they do turn from their evil ways and they repent. They literally turn around. If you hear the word repent, you may not know what it means, but it actually means to, to go from where you're facing and turn around and focus on Jesus, that's what it means to repent and that's what they do so this non-Jewish people that don't know Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God, the Lord, the God of the Jews, they respond to a fishy smelling prophet and then they repent the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he jumps and goes the other way but when God speaks to Nineveh, they knelt down and they say sorry, they call urgently on God and they change their ways Sometimes we put God in a box. Sometimes we prejudge who's going to respond to him and who won't. You see, Jonah knew that Nineveh were a great city. They were city people. They were foreigners. They didn't follow the Lord. They were wicked. And yet Jonah, on his first day, he goes and he says, guys, you've got 40 more days and then your time's up. And the Ninevites believe God. And unlike Jonah, who rises up, it says in the Hebrew, and runs away, tells us that the king rises up, he puts on sackcloth, he gets down into the ashes. They're an the exact opposite of one another. And if you were reading this story from the first time, who would you think would be more likely to respond to God? The Jewish prophet that God, the word of the Lord has come to? Or a king leading a wicked people that doesn't know God from any other God on, you know, on the planet? I know which one I would hedge my bets on, and yet the story tells us something different. About three years ago um, at my previous church, we we had a community meal where we'd get 80 to 100 people would come and there would be kind of lots of different issues going on there. There would be loneliness, there would be mental health issues, there would be drug and alcohol abuse, there would be homelessness, there would be people who were seeking asylum, there would be people who, um, just all sorts of different things going on and it was quite an interesting time on a Friday afternoon. But there was a a guy that I met and his name was Jim and he showed up and uh, Jim began to share with me his story. I'd never seen him before. And Jim was um, a man who in the past had done really well for himself. He'd made a lot of money and done really well but unfortunately things had gone turned south for him and he'd fallen out with his family. Um, He was an industrious and entrepreneurial guy. He was quite an independent man but he'd ended up, by the time I met Jim, Jim was living in a transit van. Now I must admit, when I first spoke to Jim, I didn't think this was a guy who was likely to kind of turn around and face Jesus. He was a guy who was quite angry about what had happened um, and his life uh, was, was a real mess. Um, and yet actually, over time... Jim began to get to know other Christians. And over time, Jim came onto Alpha. And then over time, Jim came to know Jesus. And then three years ago, this December, I had the privilege of baptizing Jim in full immersion in the churches. He proclaimed the faith he had found in the person that loved him completely. But the first time I met Jim, I didn't expect that God was going to turn him around to face Jesus. And it may be that you're here this evening and there are lots of people that you mix with during the week and you're prejudging who God is working with. Maybe your colleagues at work, maybe friends at the club where you play football or the book group that you're a member of or the club that you go to. And you're sitting there thinking, do you know what, I know so and so might be open to Jesus or they might kind of accept an invite to Alpha, but I don't think this person, this person, and this person are open at all. Well, can I encourage you not to put God in a box? You've got alpha flyers on there. Can I encourage you to to, to pray? Can I encourage you to share flyers? Can I encourage you to share things on your Facebook, on your Insta stories? Can I encourage you to let people know that alpha is happening and then to see what God does? See what he does. Don't put him in a box. You may have some Ninevites in your life that God is at work with. So the first thing we learn is that God is compassionate. The second thing we learn is that actually unlikely people will come to repentance. So what's the connection between God's compassion and this repentance? What's, What's going on there? Well, later on, the Bible tells us that it is God's kindness. It's his compassion that leads us to repentance. It's his compassion. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so the question for us here this evening is, are we more like Jonah or are we more like Nineveh? Are we more like Jonah or are we more like Nineveh? Are there areas of our life where actually we know that God wants to lead us to repentance in his kindness, but we are keeping him at arm's length and we're running the other way like Jonah? Or are there things in our lives where actually we know, do you know what, I've been keeping God at arm's length, but actually I need know what I need to do. I need to, need to get up off of my throne, I need to get down on the floor, put on sackcloth, and I need to repent. It's hard, isn't it? You know, we, our wallets the things we watch, the conversations we have at work, maybe our ambitions for our workplaces, maybe the position that we put our families in in relation to God, maybe our sex lives, maybe the the, the amount that we drink, maybe maybe we've got a drug issue, maybe we've got a jealousy issue, maybe we've got a generosity issue. I don't know. I'm sure all of us have got areas where we keep God at arm's length. And it's quite hard for me standing up here on a Sunday night talking about repentance because I know what I've been like for the past week. And so I'm not preaching to you. I'm talking and calling us as family to repentance. Because it's his kindness which leads us to repentance. For Nineveh, God could have sent judgment without a warning. But in his compassion, he sends Jonah. And then they repent. Then they receive life. Are there people here this evening that need to receive life from Jesus? You see, in our days, God hasn't sent us a prophet like Jonah. Because in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Now, I know that last week, Phil kind of finished in with a particular theme. And I'm going to go to the same place. The reason I'm going to go to the same place is because the whole of the narrative of Scripture focuses in on one person. It focuses to him, it's for him, it's about him. And that's where we're going to go. A guy called Chris Chris Kandir, I don't know how you say it, I'm not sure how you're meant to say it. An amazing Christian guy, he runs a charity called Home for Good that encourages people to consider adoption. Encourages the church to take up the mantle of adoption because our father adopted us first. He writes this in his book, Paradoxology, which I do recommend. By the way, there is a book recommendation this evening. He says this. In Jonah, we see the mirror image. So in Jesus, we see the mirror image of Jonah. Jonah was an unwilling missionary sent by God to Nineveh, whereas Jesus was a willing missionary sent by God to Earth. Jonah's life and words, as recorded in the Bible, betray his underlying feelings of rebellion and resentment, whereas Jesus's life and words reveal God's love, grace, and compassion for the world. Jonah slept on a boat in a raging storm was woken by seasoned sailors scared for their lives and stilled the storm by throwing himself into the sea. Jesus too slept on a boat in a raging storm, was woken by seasoned sailors scared for their lives and stilled the storm simply by speaking to the storm and telling it to stop. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights. Jonah preached about judgment to pagans. Jesus preached about judgment to Israel. Jonah cried because judgment didn't come. Jesus cried for Jerusalem because judgment was coming. Jonah was angry at God's mercy. Jesus showed us God's mercy by taking on God's anger. Jonah didn't want God's grace to be shown to other nations. But Jesus sent us his spirit to send his disciples To every nation in the world. See, not Jonah, but Jesus is the one that shows us God's kindness and compassion in order that it might lead us to repentance. Globally and historically, the way that the church, as it's come together, has focused on repentance has been the family meal. It's been that time of communion, that time of coming together to remember the sacrifice that Jesus offered as he poured himself out on the cross. And this evening we're going to come and do that together. But before we get there, there's going to be time for repentance.